people to the land which I am going to give you, that I'm giving you to the sons of Israel. You guys, this is a big deal. Joshua is hearing these words from God, which is already a big deal. But what God is saying to him is a big deal. This was going to require, what he was calling Joshua to do, was going to require the same type of divine intervention that Israel experienced under the leadership of Moses. Talk about a hard act to follow. Wouldn't you agree? Joshua was about to follow Moses. You can imagine what Joshua was thinking. As soon as God said, arise, Joshua was like, oh, I I heard this was coming. I knew it was coming. And you can imagine the the doubts and and the fears and the insecurities and the uncertainties that were rising up. In Joshua, what if, I, what if I'm not favored by God as much as Moses was? What if I can't make my staff turn into a snake? What if I can't, what if I can't part a large mass of water like Moses did? Don't you think those are probably some natural things that, that Joshua would, would have been thinking? Well, guess what? Joshua was favored by God because he was willing to walk in his ways. He was willing to walk in the ways of the Lord and he worked towards doing what was right. That was what was in his heart. And he found favor. That's why God said, Joshua, you arise. Joshua, it's your turn. And I don't know if he ever did the snake trick But we do know that God allowed Joshua to part the Jordan River, right? Isn't that awesome to think? He followed in Moses' footsteps and did some miraculous things and even greater things in some ways, amazing things. Now, here's what I want to encourage you guys with today. Many of us have felt or maybe even currently feel unworthy We feel ill-equipped, may even just feel flat-out terrified that we will never be enough for God or do anything significant for God. And these feelings can, uh, can paralyze us. We're just immobile. We aren't. We aren't working out our salvation. We're not contending for the faith. We're not living lives. We're not living lives worthy of the, call, uh, of the calling. And bottom line, guys, this does not please the Lord. We don't like to think of the things in our lives that may not please the Lord. But when we are not living lives worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus, I think the Lord's like, oh man, that's a bummer. I invested everything into you. It's your turn, but you're paralyzed. You know, just as Joshua was given a mandate to follow Moses and, and finish up what he started, we are given a mandate by Jesus and told to finish what he started. Real quick, turn to Matthew, and I know we know this, Matthew 28. We all probably have this underline and we, and we quote it all the time. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19. 
This is, that, this is the great commission. This is when Jesus sent his disciples out before he uh, ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. This is the mandate. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so you read this and you read it in the context of the entire Bible and you find that really the mandate upon the life of the believer, the life of a Christian, is to walk in his ways and teach others to walk in his ways. Isn't that the mandate upon our lives? There is no one in this room that that has chosen to, to follow after God that this mandate does not apply. For you to walk in his ways, for me to walk in his ways, and for us to be a part of teaching others to walk in his ways. And if we ain't, that's Texas for, I don't even know. If we ain't walking in his ways, then you can bet your bottom dollars that we ain't teaching others to walk in his ways. Isn't that true? Why? Because we don't feel worthy. We feel ill-equipped. We feel ashamed that we are still babies when we should be um, older and wiser in the faith. We aren't giving out. We're not living lives worthy of the calling. We're not following the mandate of the Lord. We ain't. We ain't. We ain't. And if we ain't, (laughs) we are not living lives worthy of the calling. And the crazy thing is, you guys, is we know that. We know that. Everything I just said, we know that. We're just paralyzed. And we're slightly overwhelmed with the task that's before us. I'm just a little over. I, I, have, to, I have to D-W-J-D and I have to T-O-T-W-D-J-D. You know what I mean? You guys don't know what that means either. Yes. Yes, teach others to do what Jesus did. Okay, we've got to do both. D-W-J-D and T-O-T-D-W-J-D. You know what I mean? That's the mandate upon our lives. That was kind of silly, I suppose. But but listen, God gave us, and I know it's hard to think of, okay, I've got to get my life to some sort of um, growing process here, some sort of maturity happening in my life. Because I know that not only am I responsible to personally be holy as he is holy, I am to teach others. I am responsible to go and make disciples, to teach others to do what Jesus did. And that is overwhelming. It's overwhelming just to think of cleaning up my own life, much less having some sort of responsibility to help someone else clean up their life. It's a bit overwhelming. Am I the only one that feels that? I'm a pastor of a church and I feel that. (laughs) You know what I mean? I get paid to do that. I get paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. You know what I mean? And so I had to do that. I didn't plan on doing that. I heard somebody say that one time. It's a good joke. Did we get that on podcast? We'll post it on YouTube. Anyway, sorry. You guys aren't good for nothing. You're, you're worthy. So <laughs> where was that? That's terrible. Oh, but it is, it can be overwhelming. And, and here's the thing. We have received the same promise that Joshua received. Look at verse 5 in, uh, in Joshua chapter 1. Look what he says. He gives him that mandate, and then he says, Now, 
Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. He said, I will not fail you or forsake you. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. God never has and God never will ask us to bear this burden alone. He gave us the mandate. It's not even an option. It is his command, the great commandment, the, you know, go and do this. But it never anywhere does it say that you will have to do this alone. In fact, if you look at the rest of Matthew 28 there, what does he say? He says, he says, lo, I'm not sure what that means. Yo, word up. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The same encouragement that little old overwhelmed Joshua received, the promise even, we have received. This is what I've told you to do. This is what I've empowered you to do. And I'm even going to be there to help you do it. You're not going to have to do it all. And he even said, my yoke is easy. Remember, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not going to put anything on you that you can't do. Amen. I'm going to put on something that is very impossible, but it's possible because I am Christ in you, the hope of glory and your strength and your song and your salvation. You're going to be able to handle this. No reason to be overwhelmed because you can come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you strength. I will be the single set of footprints in the sand. You know what I mean? You remember what I said earlier? Uh, living a life worthy of the calling is not for the faint of heart, and it can't be done without God's help. Those are you got to hear that. You can't be faint at heart, and you can't try to do it on your own. If you're faint at heart, or you try to do it on your own, or both, I guess. Get ready to be knocked down, kicked around. You're going to lose. You're you're going to be a a failed contender. And I think about Joshua and I think about how God must have sensed his hesitancy. He had to have sensed his hesitancy, the hesitancy in in Joshua, I mean. Because what does he say? If you look back there, it tells him three times, three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And then at the end, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And I cannot prove this, but I like to believe that each one of those be strong and courageous came from one of the, um, uh, the Godhead. God the Father saying, as a father would do his son, you can do it. Be strong and courageous. And then Jesus the Son, God the Son, who's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, saying, come on, be strong You can do it in the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter and our counselor, cheering us on in our empowerment, saying, be strong and very courageous. I can't prove that. That's just my thinking. It's just threes. You know, it works that way. But God does. He knows our hearts. And I think he understands our hesitancy to follow him wholeheartedly. And I think what he's saying to us today is to be strong and courageous. Be strong and and courageous. Contend. Fight. Fight for the faith. Go fight. Win. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) 
We can shout it out to a football players out on the team doing something very useless in the scheme of eternity. But we forget to encourage each other. Go, fight, win. Now, earlier I said that, basically I said that to contend for the faith means that we are on top of our game when it comes to our mind, our body, and our spirit. And I want to I show you a few things before we leave. And if you're writing things down, please write these things down because I think they'll be very practical and just good reminders uh, if you have something to write on. And if you don't and you'd like these, we can email them to you or something later. But to, confend, to contend for the faith means that we really are uh, at, at our best game spiritually, mentally, and physically. And we'll start with spiritually because everything stems from um, how we're doing spiritually. If you look at 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says that he who is spiritual appraises all things. In other words, he, he, he judges, he examines all things. That's a great way of saying that we must be, if we're going to be people who contend for the faith, we must be people who are led by the Spirit. Spiritual men who examine, and women who examine all All things, people who are led by the Holy Spirit. And if you look at Ephesians 6, verse 12, and and if you read even back further, it gives a lot of insight. But verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So not only do we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, we've got to be on guard against unholy spirits. Now, some of you may not be like, whoa, there's unholy spirits. You see them all over, the, all over the scripture. Jesus dealt with them. If he's telling us to go and make disciples and he's declaring that there's a need for us to be with him, we must be going to encounter some sort of opposition from spirits that are unholy, in other words, ungodly, anti-Christ. We must be led by the spirit and be on guard against the schemes of the enemy in our life. He's contending too. He's fighting too. The only problem for him is he doesn't have Jesus on his side. Remember, uh, he said the demons believe, but even they shudder. Why? Because the source of strength and source of, of hope is in us, Christ. He doesn't really stand a chance unless we are all wobbly need and doing like this all day long. And he cuts our knees out from under us. And he defeats us. That's not who we're supposed to be in the Lord. It's not who we're supposed to be. Taking care of our lives spiritually. Read the word. Worship him alone. Pray. Encourage one another. Be encouraged. Meet with people that are older than you. Be brought along. Meet with people that are younger than you in the faith. Bring them along. Be engaged spiritually. And then mentally. Mentally is another one. 1 Corinthians 2.16, later on, right after 2.15, it says that we, talks about how we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So we must think the way that Jesus thinks. Not thought, the way he still thinks. And the best way we do that is, how, how did he think? How did he think? And we get in the Word and we see the red letters. And this is what he said. This is how he thought. This is, this is how he dealt with men. This is how he dealt with unbelievers. How he dealt with his disciples. We have to have the mind of Christ. You think about Colossians 3 verse 2. Where it says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Not only what must we think the way that Jesus thinks, we've got to stop thinking 
the way that the world thinks. You guys, we oftentimes think in more, uh, how do I say that? Think in more worldly terms and thoughts than we do spiritual terms. More often than not, and I'm saying, I'm right in here with you. We're on the same team here. More often than not, I'm having worldly thoughts. I'm making decisions based upon worldly um, um, ideas and, and reasoning versus God. Melissa and I were talking earlier about the difference between fear and faith. Are you making decisions out of fear or faith? That's a great question. You should write that down and examine our own lives, right? Fear or faith. How are we thinking here? Are we fearful or are we faithful and full of faith? Makes the world a difference, doesn't it? And the last thing is physically. And man, we could just really go off on this, but Romans 13, 14 says, put on, (laughs) put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a cool leather jacket. Put on Jesus Christ and strut that thing. You know what I mean? My, my, I don't know what it is about Canaan. There's something about Canaan. He's just cool. But he always gets these cool leather jackets. People hand them down to Canaan. And they hand them down, and they always fit him, <laughs> not any of the other boys. It's like, wait. You know, he's got this cool leather jacket that was given to him. that has got these cool white stripes. I was just saying cool a lot. Is that uncool? Anyway, you have, he's got these white stripes down the side of this jacket. And it looks like a Wolverine jacket, you know. It's like, dude. If that jacket was my size, I would totally wear that. In fact, you try to get in there and just kind of squeeze it out, stretch it, but it doesn't work. You know, you put on Jesus like a cool leather jacket. That should be a lyric in some sort of Christian rap song. It says, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Listen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Our bodies cry out for things. Our emotions cry out for things. But he says, make no provision for those things that cry out in the flesh. Don't make provision. Don't don't even give them, you know, don't feed them. They're like a stray cat. They'll keep coming back. Don't even feed them. Make no provision. We must clothe ourselves with the righteousness of Christ. And the last scripture for this morning is 1 Corinthians 9, 27. It says, this is where Paul says, you're familiar with this. He says, I, I discipline my body. Some of your versions say, I beat my body. Other versions say, I buffet my body. I discipline my body and make it my slave. Or I make it come under submission to me so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. We've got to clothe ourselves with the righteousness of Christ. And we've got to starve ourselves of the unrighteousness of the flesh. You hearing me? Because this is, this is where most people check out. <laughs> we must starve ourselves of the things that create unrighteousness in our lives. You hearing me? You want things to go away? You want to walk in that blessing? You, know, you want to walk in that unoverwhelmed feeling? Um, you know what I mean? We want to be overwhelmed with grace instead of overwhelmed with the stuff. We've got to contend spiritually, mentally, physically. Probably the the strongest truth that I could say to believers in the year 2011 in America 
is that um, a sad truth is that by and large, the one thing that rules us is our flesh. Comfort, pleasure, fill in the blanks. We want it all. And we will make any provision to make sure we get it. Paul's saying, don't make any provision. Don't make any provision for the flesh. Because if you sow in the flesh, you will reap in the flesh. Melissa and I, you know, we've, we've been in ministry a long time, ministry, you know, we've been leaders in the church. And we've talked to so many people, so many people that, that their lives are just all over the place. And literally asking why. You know, some of the people we talked about in, in the great uh, apostasy that, that will happen in the end days, I talked to, the, talked to you about the people that are just mad at God. They're mad because their lives are in shambles and they're blaming God for it. All the while, there, there was no Christian discipline. There was no those kinds of things. We see it all the time. I don't judge them because I've had ups and downs in my own life. God's brought me a long way and still has a long way to bring me. But if we could just get those things in our head and in our heart. Now, I want to end with this because this is a word I got from the Lord during worship this morning. I believe that, that today was a very special day. I don't know if you guys could sense it from the time you walked in. You know, there's just those times where you walk in to the presence of the Lord and it's just unique. It's, we, we know that, that Christ is, is everywhere. We know he's omnipresent. We know that he lives in us because we're believers, right? You know, and so we know those things. He's always with us. He's everywhere. But you guys, there's a such thing as what you might call the manifest presence of God. I always call it the unique, tangible experiences that we have from God, uh, with God from time to time. Amen? And I believe we experienced one of those this morning. Not that the ceiling shook. Not that anybody rolled around like a, you know, whatever, penguin on the ground or anything. But you guys felt it. Did you feel it? There's just a special presence of the Lord this morning. I believe God has ministered to you through worship and through the Word. And I got to thinking about, um, about just that faithfulness, being faithful in the Lord to, to contend spiritually, mentally, physically. And I got to thinking about the high priest's of, of, about the time where this is what the Lord was showing me in worship today. The high priest in the days of Jesus, which was a long time after the, high, the priesthood was established, by the time we got to, to Jesus' day, there were so many in the Levitical priesthood. There were so many people, so many priests, and then so many high priests. And you guys know that the high priests are the ones that would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, and they would minister before the Lord, make atonement for the people. Well, there was a lot of high priests, a lot of them, you know, and there's just not that many years not, not, because they would do that once a year. And so there was literally a rotation of high, for the high priest. You guys understand what I'm saying? So if I'm a high priest and Nick's a high priest, you know, it might be 10 years before my name gets called or it's my turn to go into the Holy of Holies and, and minister to the Lord like that, you know. Maybe Nick got to do it last year. Maybe I'll get to do it this year or whenever. I don't know how they worked out the schedule. But the point is, is that for a high priest to get to go into the Holy of Holies may not have occurred 
or maybe at least only occurred once in a lifetime. Do you understand that? And I got to thinking about faithful old Zechariah. Faithful Zechariah. He just served in the priesthood. He was a high priest. And he was on the, he was on the schedule. And the year came around where it was his turn. You have to remember, God hadn't spoken in 400 years since the prophet Malachi. 400 years. High priests had been going into the Holy of Holies. It's my turn. Yeah, it was good. I sprinkled the blood and then we did. I mean, it wasn't anything special. The people were telling I'm Not that they didn't think it was special, but I believe the Lord was always there. But the day Zechariah went in, on his year, he went in and the Lord spoke to him about a son that he and his wife were about to have in their old age, John the Baptist. And he was like, what? Are you crazy? That could never happen. We're old. You guys know the deal. God made him mute until John the Baptist was born. But I just got to thinking, you guys, about, you know, sometimes our walk with God is just a steady walk. It's just steady. It's just contending. Spiritually, mentally, physically. It's just about being steady. It's about, it's about um, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That mandate. Growing in the Lord. Encouraging and teaching others to grow in the Lord. It's a little mundane, isn't it? Even coming to church can be mundane. Because sometimes we come in here. People come into churches all across America. All across the world. And sometimes it's just kind of another service. Got a good teaching. I was encouraged. The worship time was good. I was edified in my spirit. You know? And so because it could be mundane, it could be uh, just kind of another service. You know what? I could just not even go. <laughs> and I thought this morning, this is 4th of July weekend, people. You could be anywhere. You could be anywhere doing anything. We could have body glove suits on, you know, doing the ski thing. But you are here. And the Lord honored that. And I believe that God is doing something. Maybe... Beyond your perception and understanding, God is doing something in you right now that will bear fruit later because of your faithfulness right now. I felt like the Lord was saying that this morning. And to not take advantage of any mundanity of life. That was a bushism right there. You know what I mean? The mundanity, you know. You come expecting. Expecting what? At least that you'll be encouraged that you can encourage someone else, that you'll be edified in your spirit because there's something about singing with the saints. But there's always that chance that the Lord can impregnate your wife. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. No. That's not what I mean. There's always that chance. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Lord, no! No, there's always that chance for you to encounter the Lord in that unique manifestation of His presence. Amen? Amen. And the cool thing is, is that God could use you to be that manifestation for someone else. He could give you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a prophetic word. He could have you pray an encouragement that goes beyond words. But you don't, you miss that. You know, Zechariah didn't miss it that day. He got it. And when you, if you read the encounter, it says when he came out, he was just like, I don't know what he looked like, but the people said, 
He has been with the Lord. The Lord has visited him. Or he has seen a vision. That's what it says. He has seen a vision. And that's what I feel like the Lord is saying to you today. Um, there's something sown into you that you may not realize until later. But today was a good day for you to be at church. Let's stand.